Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. All right, Romans. Um, Romans 10 through 11 is what I'm going to try and cover today, and so that means whenever you try and cover too much stuff, uh, you're, I'm probably not going to get as uh, into the, the depths of it as I'd normally like to, but uh, this is how I've mapped out the series for the rest, rest of the way. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read, and we're going to have a point, and then read, have a point, and we'll have three points all together. So if you want to follow along with me, I'm going to start in the NIV because I feel like this passage is one that I, I hear so clearly in my mind in the NIV. And then eventually, though, I'm going to read from the message for some of the more confusing parts. So if you want to follow along, starting in Romans 10. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Don't forget, 9 through 12, it's all about Paul's yearning that his brothers and sisters, the fellow Jews and Israelites, would come to know Jesus. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who faiths. All the laws that the Jews really had zeal for, Paul is saying like all those things that you were getting so caught up in the fine print, so zealous to follow all these rules, just like I used to be. I just want you to know that they were all pointing to and culminating in Jesus. So instead of following all the fine print, trust and faith in Jesus. And he says, even for you Israelites, if you know Moses and you know the law, you saw that even Moses said things about how the law has been about belief and faith and trust. And so he says here in, in Romans 8, but what does the law, what does Moses say in the law? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. He's saying it's not with following these rules. It's let me see your heart. Let me see the transformation in your heart that you are justified, you are made righteous with God. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. I, it's not about your ethnicity. It is about whether or not you call on Christ as Lord. He is able to, for, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We can stay here for a second. Uh, uh, this is, in my opinion, another good reminder that from the get-go, uh, Paul has a deep desire to go do mission work in Spain. And part of his goal is to beat Rome to be his home base, to recruit 
finances, to recruit support so that he can go off to Spain. We often forget that, but once we get to the very end of the letter, you're going to see him talking about needing help financially. And so I think here, part of this he's saying is, this is all about all of having being saved is not about your ethnicity. It's all about whether you believe in Christ and trust in him. And how are people going to do that unless someone sends them to tell people? And I think you see that a little underwritten there, this connection to his goal to go off and do more mission work in Spain. The first thing I want to talk about, though, the first main point if you're a journal writer, is God is right in front of you. I love this place in Romans where he says the word is near to you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. It's right there. It reminds me a lot of uh, in Acts when Paul says in Acts 17, he's talking to the, um, I should know this, I think 18 is Corinth. I think 17 is uh, Ephesus, but I don't know. Um, He says God is nearer to you than your very breath. Isn't that cool to think about? Like as you breathe, Is there anything that's more inside of you than your breath? And he's saying God's even nearer to you than that. But the the thing I want to talk about with this God's nearness to you is uh, how many of you uh, are people that when you watch a TV show or movie, you kind of become super invested in the story, almost like you're completely immersed in it. Anybody like me? I'm very much like that. I can't, when I'm watching, and I want you to picture this is like a crime movie or or TV show or a murder show, and from the get-go, you have your suspicion, this is the killer. This is the villain. But you're not sure. And so you have scenes where the music starts to get intense, and I'm sitting there watching, literally, Catherine can attest this, I'm like, watch out! (laughs) He's right there! Like, and, and then it's even worse whenever, you know, sometimes with storytelling, they will, the, the show will show you who the bad guy is or the murderer is, but the characters may not know. So then it's even worse. You know, you're, you're sitting there and you're sweating. You're like, did there, how can you not see that they're right in the room right there with you? Watch out. Um, I also, I thought about, I decided to go with murder first instead of the romance movies analogy because Jason's always getting on to me how much I like rom-coms and stuff. But I know you've seen a rom-com or you've seen a love movie where it's Pride and Prejudice. I had a sister, come on. It's Pride and Prejudice or it's, uh, it's um, You've Got Mail. I had a mom. I have a mom. You've got mail or when Harry met Sally. And the whole premise is these people trying to find love, trying to find their person. And you're like, are you kidding me? Like, wake up. They are right there. You clearly have a relationship with this person. Like, pay attention. This person you've been emailing with, with like for, for, I don't know, how many years. Like, clearly you've got a good thing going on. Also, I will say, I feel this way a little bit. Some of the girls from my youth ministry and Katie that come and visit and other girls from my youth ministry, there's, I can't tell you the number of times that they sit here and, you know, it's not the end of the world, but I think, how has a guy at ACU not married you yet? You know, have they, what are they looking at? Have they not seen how awesome you are and how pretty you are? Like, get with the picture, fellas, you know, these girls are great. And I say all this to say that this is how I almost picture Paul here when he's so sad about the Israelites missing it, is he's like, y'all are swimming in the Bible all the time. You are swimming in the Old Testament promises and texts, and it's killing me that you don't see Jesus right here in front of you. And I can relate to this. I can, and I think we can relate to this. You have people in your life who you know, and by the way, I'm, I'm guilty of doing this too, but we have people in our lives who we know we think, I just wish you realized what you're missing by not making Christ more a part of your life. 
not just an ornament to your life. You make it where it's like, well, you know, this is what I do, this is who I am, but like, Jesus is something I, in, I participate in because it's just part of my routine. Not this total surrender to what would my life look like if Christ was really my Lord. And I, I can't tell you the number of times I see people and all I can think, I cringe just thinking, I wish you just saw Jesus right there wanting to, you to surrender that trust to him. I wish you could just see he's right there in front of you. You're so close. You come every Wednesday night. You come every Sunday morning. You post Bible verses on Facebook. You're right there. But yet you're thinking that's what it's about rather than realizing it's all just about Christ and putting your trust and faith in him. And this is what I picture Paul saying to these, these Jewish brothers and sisters that he has. It's killing him. The love of your life is right there. What are you doing? Um, so let's continue reading. That's point one. That was probably my favorite of all the points. So it's downhill from here. <laughs> Romans 10, 18 through 21 from the message. Uh, yes. Haven't there been plenty of opportunities for Israel to listen and understand what's going on? Plenty, I'd say. Preachers' voices have gone round the world. Their message to earth's seven seas. So the big question is, why didn't Israel understand that she had no corner on this message? Moses had it right when he predicted. When you see God, reach out to those you consider your inferiors, outsiders. When you see God, reach out to these people who aren't the people of God. This is Paul quoting from the Old Testament. You will be insanely jealous. I, I think, uh, well, I'll get to this in a second. When you see God reach out to people you think are religiously stupid, you'll throw temper tantrums. Isaiah dared to speak out these words of God. People found and welcomed me who never so much as looked for me. And I found and welcomed people who had never even asked about me. Then he capped it with a damning indictment. Day after day after day, I beckoned Israel with open arms and got nothing for my trouble but cold shoulders and icy stares. So if you're a note taker, the second point I'd like you to consider is that God beckons us with open arms, but often gets a cold shoulder from people. And this is, a, this is a picture that's hard for us to grasp, but I want to make sure in the midst of all the things we see and think about God, we never lose sight of, and I think if, if your mind hasn't gone there, my mind has, you can't lose sight of the picture of the father from Luke 15, who is, he cannot wait for the son to come back with open arms. He cannot wait for this opportunity to say, it's not, uh, I've seen a, a preacher who does almost like a skit, uh, and I've seen him do it at, at some Christian camps, where what he does is he describes this picture of two chairs on the stage. And every time we grew up thinking that the way it worked was, here's God's chair and here's our chair looking at each other. And when we sinned, we walked our chair way over there, and God kept his chair here. Like, all right, y'all, you messed up, I'm waiting. But the message of Scripture is not that. The message of Scripture is when we took our chair over there, God picked his chair up and walked right over there and sat it right in front of us saying, look at me. I'm right here. I want to have this relationship. And then we pick up our chair and go somewhere else. We don't want that. We pick up our chair and all along God is constantly eager to say, I'm right here. I'm begging you. And we get this part here with, with Paul talking to the Israelites, this image of Paul is saying, like, look, even in the Old Testament, it says that there's going to be times where God is going to reach out to these people that aren't the people of Israel. And it's going to be something that you guys can't comprehend. 
But day after day, he's been trying to get your attention. And all you've been doing is giving him icy stares and cold shoulders. I do have good news, though. I do want to point out one thing from what he quotes in Isaiah, this part that I don't want us to miss. He says, he says, in Isaiah, he quotes, People found and welcomed me who never so much as looked for me. And, and I found and welcomed people who had never even asked about me. So in the midst of all this, we can get really good at coming up with these formula of, well, the way to salvation is you have to do this, and this happens, and this happens, and then God saves you. There's further proof here from Isaiah that we have no idea what God's up to. And plenty of times God is in the business of reaching out to people who aren't necessarily paying attention to him. Okay? And this is a good reminder for me and us. Anytime we think we have the market on, well, this is how God is going to save people, God does not fit into our boundaries of how he's at work to save people. He has every right to decide how he's going to save those people who are out there. And so in Romans 10, 11 through 13, I'm going to reread it. You can go to the next slide. This is, this is the, uh, uh, oh, wait, this is a quote. It's a great quote. And then I'm going to read. No, no, go ahead and go back. This is a quote from A.W. Tozer. It's one of my favorite quotes. I've said it in Wednesday night class before. He says, Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Complacency just like sitting in the same spot. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that for many of us he waits so long, so very long in vain. That's good stuff. He's saying... Uh, I, I had this uh, guy from my youth group. We were preparing to go on wilderness trek, I remember. And wilderness trek is this six-day Christian camp backpacking trip in Colorado. And leading up to it, we would go and we would jog and walk in preparation. And I remember one time jogging with him. He was a junior in high school. And he was telling me, you know, Drew, I don't really want to be like a fitness nut or anything. I just want, you know, to be able to like just kind of keep where I'm at. You know, and so that like when I'm, you know, 40 and stuff, I can still be just as active. And you know what I was smiling, thinking about? I was like, you have no idea how hard it is to keep where you're at. You know, he's sitting there thinking, you know, I'm just going to keep doing me and I'll be fine. I'll still be felt and my metabolism will still be kicking in. And I'm thinking, okay, you can say all that you want, but what you don't realize is it is a grind to just be able to stay at the same place. You following me? And I think this is part of what Tozer is saying. This is part of what we see with the Israelites. The Israelites say, we've got the market on God. We've got God figured out. We've got all these structures in place. We're good. We're fine with this way of thing, how things are happening. And yet, Tozer is saying, Paul is saying, in order for faith to grow, in order to find faith, you have to say, God, I want you. I want to put my faith, I want to put my trust in you. And too bad, God is sitting there just waiting with open arms, waiting for us to want him. And too often, he sits there waiting in vain for people who don't ever really turn around and say, I want you. So Romans 10, 11 through 13 reiterates this point. Scripture reassures us, no one who trusts God like this, heart and soul, will ever regret it. It's exactly the same, no matter what a person's religious background may be. The same God for all of us, acting the same incredibly generous way to everyone who calls out for help. Everyone who calls, help God, gets help. Now some of you may be sitting there and thinking, I've called out to God for help a lot, and it doesn't look like how I hoped. I, don't, I won't argue with you. I will still attest to the mystery of God of, I don't know why it doesn't look like the way we want it to look often, 
I do believe he's going to be helping you. I do believe he has, is, and will help you, even if it feels like he is far and has not. I just want to make sure I reiterate that. Because some of you sitting here are saying, I've called help God and it's not, I'm not getting the help. I believe you are, even if we don't understand why it doesn't look like the way we want it to look. Skipping ahead, well, before you get to the next part, Melissa, does this mean, this is what Paul is saying, does this mean, and this is what people are asking, does this mean that God is so tired of Israel that he is going to give up on them, going to drop them, abandon them? And remember, Paul, he's absolutely crushed that his beloved friends and family haven't accepted the Messiah. And Paul believes that there is a loyal group of Israelites, of Jews, who are holding on to this grip of God's grace. Some who remain confident in the ways of... There's some people who have remained confident in, in the ways of following these rules as my salvation, and they're missing it. But there are some who let God initiate his transformation in them through faith. And so now Paul is going to use this imagery, and this is going to be our kind of last section, this imagery of pruning and grafting branches to an olive tree to describe this current state of Jews who have not accepted Jesus and Gentiles who have been joined to the family. So I wanted to use this picture mostly because I think it's fun, but my dad had a great fruit orchard in Lake Jackson that, that died during the freeze we had a couple years ago. He had this awesome, he had these big, huge lemon and orange trees and lime trees and, and uh, I mean, huge oranges, and uh, they all died during the freeze. But this is a picture my dad sent to the family a few years ago, or not years ago, a few, you know, a year or so ago, and uh, this was him grafting in some new branches to his, his trunk. Uh, I don't know if you can tell, but these are basically like healthy limbs that he has taken and he's saran wrapped, uh, I guess that's what it looks like, to the branch. And, and for those of you, this word grafting, if it doesn't make any sense, uh, some of you maybe have heard of skin grafts before. You take skin from one place that's healthy and excess and you use it to restore in places in your body where you've had major burns or scarring. And uh, here, the idea of grafting is something that would have been common to these people. You would have olive trees that are producing and you have some of these wild olive branches that are maybe doing great, but they're not producing olive fruit and you would graft them in. And so Paul uses this illustration to talk about how at his core, his story, the people of Israel were a part of that original tree. And now these Gentiles have come and become grafted in. And so let's read from Romans 11, 16 through 18. Behind and underneath all this, he's saying, in the midst of all this stuff I'm talking about, about Jews and Gentiles, about belief, about who's included in the family, there is a holy, God-planted, God-tended root, a, tr a, a trunk. If the primary root of the tree is holy, there's bound to be some holy fruit. Some of the tree's branches were pruned, and you, wild olive shoots, were grafted in. So some of the people that are being pruned, as he'll show, are these Jewish people that did not recognize Jesus and are not alive. They've been pruned. And now you have some of these Gentile people that weren't a part of the, weren't a part of the trunk that God has chosen to include in the family. Yet the fact that you are now fed by that rich and holy root gives you no cause to gloat over the pruned branches. Remember, you aren't feeding the root. The root is feeding you. Keep reading. And don't, for, and don't get to feeling superior, verse 23 through 24. Don't get to feeling superior to those pruned branches down on the ground. You Gentile Christians, don't think you're better than those cut-off branches. If they don't persist in remaining dead wood, if they come back to life, they could very well be grafted back in. God can do that. 
He can perform miracle graphs. I love this line. I love the idea. It's like, if you think someone's been cut off and that's it, don't forget our God is a miracle worker. He can bring them back in. Why, if he could graft you, branches cut from a tree out in the wild, you Gentiles, you non-Jews, into an orchard tree, he certainly isn't going to have any trouble grafting branches back into the tree that grew from, they grew from in the first place. Just be glad you're in the tree and hope the best for the others. All right, here's my last point. This idea that I think is so crucial and something we have to remember, if you're a note taker, grafted in, we are grafted in to God's story. I think the big picture that we need to remember is that this is two groups quarreling. So at different parts in Romans, you've got the Israelites bragging. They're like, yeah, that's right. We're descendants of Abraham. And Paul's saying, well, listen, that's really not the basis of your faith. And here you can imagine the Gentiles are the one that's saying, look at us. We're, we're kind of the new plan. We're kind of the ones that God's kind of kicked the Jews to the curb and now we're the way. And Paul is saying, that is not the case at all. They are still the original they are still the ones that I had this original plan for. So don't find yourself thinking that you're better than the Jewish Christians who are in the, in the congregation. The Jews can be guilty of thinking that God's promises are just for them, and now Paul doesn't want the Gentiles to be doing the same thing. And so this, in my opinion, brings me to uh, a point that is something we all have to remember in this. Too often for me as a Christian, I find myself thinking, I am the core of this story, and God is my Savior. And yet, this is a good reminder. The core of this story is this tree, is this God-initiated plan. And we are so blessed to get to be grafted into this plan. I, I feel often, whenever we remember, he says it, and uh, Eugene says, remember, you aren't feeding the root. The root is feeding you. And then at the end, he says this line, just be glad you're in the tree and hope for the best for the others. People who don't realize that we've been joined into God's story, we can be very guilty of wondering why everybody else hasn't gotten along with this. You know, Hey, listen, this is, this is how you do it. I don't really get why you're not getting along with the program, but I've been doing it right. And I have to constantly remind myself, Drew, you are so fortunate and blessed that God was willing to send his son to let you get to be in on the story. And if you have that mindset, that you didn't earn your way into the tree root, that you are just someone that God said, I'm going to include you in my story through my son, then there's no part of us that finds people out in the community who aren't living the right way, and we think, well, uh, you know, that's it's a shame for them. Sorry they don't have their life together like me. But instead, we become people that are constantly looking at our neighbors and our friends and just hoping, pleading, that they would choose to see God's ability to take them and do miracles and bring them into the tree. We can't find ourselves being people that determine who gets to be a part of this tree or not. We can't find ourselves going, well, I know God, I know the root, and so therefore you probably aren't going to be able to get included in this. You probably don't belong. You probably aren't going to make it. You probably haven't done this or that right. And if we instead go, man, I am just so thankful that I get to be a part of this story, we have a deep desire for other people to have this opportunity to be a part of this story. If any of you here or watching online are people that are reading this and, and going through Romans and, and just it's hitting you in the face that, wow, all Paul really cares about is for us to notice 
Jesus who is right there in front of us with his arms open wide. And then it's really not about all this fine print and all this, all this stuff. It's, it's just about a transformed heart that says, I want to see Jesus, the one who is closer to me, to me than my very breath. If that's something that you would like to know more about, we're gonna, the elders are going to be standing at the doors. I'll be up front. I can, I'd be willing to talk to you all week. And uh, if any of you have any prayer requests that we could be praying for you about, I encourage you to come as we stand and sing this song.